0: Hi, this is Joe Shannon. I'm a lawyer, a husband, a father of six kids, and I also uh, host a podcast called Opening Statement with Joe Shannon. Please consider listening to our podcast on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple, and any other folks that host podcasts. Just Google Joe Shannon and podcast and you'll find it. I hope you enjoyed the show. Today we're spot, we're speaking with Digger Earls from Labord Earls Injury Lawyers. How are you today, Digger? I'm doing great, Joe. How are you? I am living the dream. I uh I get to talk to great people and, uh, you know, it's not often I get to uh, travel, uh, you know, through space here down to Lafayette, Alexandria and Marksville, Louisiana, to talk to a giant in the community, Digger Earls.
1: (laughs) Appreciate the opportunity to visit with you today uh, in, you know, in this crazy new world that we find ourselves living in.
0: So, so um, just a little bit of background for our listeners. Um, Digger is a principal at a law firm called Laborde Earls. It's L-A-B-O-R-D-E-E-A-R-L-E-S, Injury Lawyers. And their main office is in Lafayette, uh, Louisiana. And uh, I've known Digger for a while and found him to be a fascinating uh lawyer uh a fellow that that grew up on a farm and uh just as comfortable in uh blue jeans and a t-shirt as he has in a, a suit and tie where he represents his his clients zealously um and i i thought that it would be good to, to listen to his story and and um understand where he comes from so that anybody listening to this when uh they hire a guy like uh like digger represent them they, they know that they hired a guy that uh you know is like a, is like a dog it's going to bite down and never ever let go is that a decent description digger
1: uh it works for me joe i appreciate it i, I appreciate the introduction uh so yeah i am I'm, I'm a i'm a country boy uh tr- through and through and through grew up on a, on a farm. And uh, you said as comfortable in blue jeans and t-shirt as I am in a suit. It's, it's actually more comfortable in blue jeans and a t-shirt than a suit and tie. That's you know,
0: the- I tell you, I, I, um, uh, agricultural community too. I grew up in the city, but, but, um, I grew up in this place called Yakima, Washington, where, where they grow a ton of hops and apples and all that kind of stuff. And, um, so it was a smaller town where people, people knew each other, and they said hello to each other on the street and knew your neighbors and, and that type of thing. And I think, you know, that type of, uh, environment is, is, is a good place for a trial lawyer to grow up. Don't you think?
1: I, I, I do. I do. I think that, uh, lawyers get caught up in the, in the legal arguments in, in, uh, in trial, and forget about the 12 people sitting there judging your case are just are just ordinary good people and may not understand or or relate to the legal jargon that we as lawyers tend to uh, revert to uh, while presenting a case. And I think growing up um, in a small town in, in a country town, rural America, uh, gives me a, a unique ability to be able to communicate on a different level than than, than most trial lawyers. So as a trial lawyer i I'm, I'm very proud of my humble beginnings and my rural American uh, r- my growing up in rural America and uh the and, and just the ability it, it gives me to connect with with people on my juries I think is a huge advantage for me
0: so let's uh let's talk about that because i I think when when people hire a lawyer of course they the, you know one of the number one reasons they hire them is because they're they're competent and they're number one in their in their field and I know that they're going to be uh, represented zealously, um, and I know it's a competitive environment. But I think people want to know who the lawyer is, uh, where he came from, and and who he surrounds himself with. what you know, what his upbringing was upbringing like? So let's—I want to talk to you a little bit about that. Would, would you sure. mind doing that? Not at all. So why don't you take us back? Um, you said you grew up in rural America. What, what does that mean?
1: So I grew up. Family form and for many generations every single person in my family is has become a farmer and has taken over the, the the form that's been handed down from generation to generation and I'm the first one to break the mold so my my dad still forms my brother forms with my dad but but I wanted out <laughs> I knew early on that 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 life wasn't for me so uh I, I moved on but i I grew up with the the nearest town to us People when when we went to that town, we were we were going to the to the city. And uh, I, I grew up on a on a farm with uh, you know no no friends around. Uh, they yeah. all lived in in town or on other farms. So I grew up playing with uh, cousins or or, or uh, animals, farm animals and dogs and stuff around the farm is is where I spent my my time. What,
0: what kind of farm was it? Um,
1: so my farmer and a rice farmer here in Louisiana. Um, So we um, sugarcane is harvested in the winter winter months in the fall. uh, And although it doesn't get quite as cold here as it does there, it still can get pretty chilly. Um, And in the rain and cold wet Louisiana climate, when it gets cold in the wintertime, it's it's not very pleasant. Um, And in the summertime, it gets really, really hot here. in and uh I, after college i went home to farm with my dad i graduated from college in agribusiness and you know that was my plan and after one sugarcane harvest uh in those those conditions i said you know what <laughs> i'm way smarter i'm way too <laughs> smart for this i want <laughs> and and to be honest with you my whole life i i never knew what we were praying for joe we we i'd hear my dad come in and and curse cuz it hadn't rained And then I'd hear my dad come in and curse because it wouldn't quit raining. So I never knew what we were supposed to be praying for. And I didn't like that uncertainty. So I knew farming wasn't going to be for me. You know, I've
0: represented uh, some families that um, were uh, – I had one one really tough case where um, I represented a a farmer. And a lot of these farmers – it's just a one-man operation – and uh, they have to know everything. They have to know how to fix equipment. They know how to read the weather. They know how to drive the equipment. Uh, but you got to be a real renaissance man to to be a farmer and understand all those things. It's just it's it, to me. To there's almost nothing more scientific or mentally challenging and physically challenging than than being a farmer.
1: Right right it's a it's a different breed um and and one that gets overlooked a lot but you know i took that 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 form background and upbringing and I, and and i apply it to my uh my practice of law and by that i mean my my work ethic you know there, there's not many lawyers that are that are up at very early hours of the morning uh and working all day and, and into the night and that's it's not that uh it's just something i've i've done you know i I I grew up with my dad being at work before I woke up in the morning, and, and coming in at dinner time or after dinner time in the evening, just working all day, and it's it's all I've ever known. So I, I kind of apply that same strategy to my so law practice.
0: L- tell me about that as far, um, and, as, far and as, and as waking I, up uh, for for a lot of these a lot of folks like like us that live in a city where we always, a lot of people think that food just comes from a supermarket and uh, they don't understand the chain there. <laughs> what what tell me what it was like as a kid you know grade school high school for you you know working you know on a farm as far as how you had to work and go to school and all that type of stuff what type of hours were you keeping
1: so we i was a big uh, i was very active in 4-h uh the 4-h program and uh raising animals for 4-h so uh, my brother and I. I deal with my dad. We could we could do those things and and enjoy those things, but we had to we had to take care of those those animals. So, usually we would we would wake up uh, as the sun came up and we'd go feed and water our animals, clean the stalls of, of the horses and cattle, um, and and you know depending on what all was going on, if they were calving and we'd take care of the calves or if, whatever needed to be done, we would do. Come back, uh, eat breakfast, go to school. Come home, and we would we would work with our show animals, uh, or we would driving tractors in the field. Uh, which was on the weekends for sure. We were driving tractors in the field and just helping dad. So, you, so
0: were you driving before you were sixteen, Digger?
1: Oh yes, I started driving. <laughs> I started I started driving a a uh, a truck in on the farm at about nine years old, just through the fields. Um, you know, we would we would the truck would pull a trailer to fill the planters up. And uh so the tractor when we we're too young to, to drive the tractors, we would drive the trucks to to keep up with, you know, filling the seed in the planters and stuff. So I started early and I even had my twelve my year old out on the farm this past weekend teaching her how to drive through the pasture. So, you know that that Alan Jackson has a song about uh talking about that this old Jeep four on the floor or something like that learning to drive in the pasture. And that's exactly what it was like for us. We, we would take the cars and our trucks and drop through the pastures. Hold up.
0: Hold up. Hold up. You're nine years old. You learn how to drive a truck.
1: At 100%. Oh my God. <laughs> 100%. I,
0: I've got 11 year old son. You, would you mind if I sent him down to Louisiana and have you teach him how to drive
1: a stick shift? I would love it. I would love it. <laughs> now, now, Joe, I I don't want you to have this idea of uh, this fancy new pickup truck that we were driving. These were the the oldest, most raggediest vehicles you can imagine that were <laughs> that we were that we were learning to drive in. So uh, it it me amazing that things like this are still able to be driven.
0: No, you know what I I tell you, um, the one thing that I, that I do like about your story is that um, you know, you learned a work ethic, uh, physical and mental work ethic at a real early age that, you know, you know, I'm reading a book right now about, um, our first president, George Washington, that it's a, uh, biography, um, by Ron Chernow. I read a lot of his books whenever they come out. And, uh, you know, I, I read about these, these folks back then in the colonial times in the 1600s 1700s 1800s and and they all you know when they were young they had to learn how to ride horses how to how to, how to you know deal in agrarian times and you know they seem like they're like 10 years ahead of what, where our kids are now just because of that and I I tell you I you know you may not have not liked it at the time waking up at five in the morning but I bet you it it gave you some lifelong skills.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I still, I still get up no later than five in the morning today. And whether it's, you know, working out or, or, um, or just reading or just some, some time to myself to get my day planned out, it's just quiet time that I really appreciate and, and enjoy. Uh, but, yeah, waking up early as a kid, college, I was the first one awake and up and about moving.
0: That's great. So, so tell us a little bit about your your, your schooling. You you uh, you were in uh, your your high school and, and your and your college. Did you did you have any hobbies, interests, sports that you played?
1: Yeah, I played most sports: football, baseball, uh, track. Um, you know, did everything that that the, the Southern boys do down here in rural rural America. Um, really loved, uh, playing sports and, uh, and like I said earlier, the 4-H, I was very active in 4-H and FFA and, uh, you know, just doing what young country boys do.
0: That's great. And then, and then you, you end up
1: heading, heading out to college. where did you end up going to college? I went to college at the University of Louisiana in Lafayette, uh, which is where I practice today, uh, in Lafayette. My main office is in Lafayette, Louisiana, so uh that's where i that's where I went to college and that's i great. just fell in love with with the city and and uh you know set up shop here after law school when i joined my partner david yeah now, uh, now where would
0: you go to law school digger
1: I went to law school at southern university in in Baton Rouge
0: all right and that's the capital down there as i understand it
1: it is it is and so
0: um tell me uh other than farming tell me tell me about some some uh some jobs that you had that were interesting uh while you were going to school
1: yeah okay so um i i'm, I'm a big outdoorsman I, I love to hunt and fish and um uh, so i've always had a job all through high school or grade school when i'm working on the farm when i moved to college I, I had to have a job and um i got a, a job at um an outdoor store um it's called lafayette shooters and it was uh it's a hunting and fishing outdoor store place, and uh, I was paid a commission uh, on based on what I sold. So I became uh, very good very quickly at, uh, at at convincing people to buy things. So um, I, I became a salesman, which I I found I really enjoyed uh, becoming a salesman. So uh, I worked there all all through school and uh, until I graduated.
0: And that and that was
1: right there in Lafayette. Yeah, I was in Lafayette in during the summer two summers. Uh, one summer I went home and worked on the farm with my dad. The next summer I I went home I went back home to work on the farm with my dad and uh didn't really didn't really see eye to eye as a 19-year-old <laughs> 18-19-year-old kid. We didn't really see eye to eye. So uh one of his friends had a a construction company that would that would put in uh, water and sewer lines. Um, so I got a job working for him for that summer and, uh, water and sewer lines, you, you dig about a four foot trench and you put the pipe in the, in the ground and then you, you, you push it in and, and they, they continuously digging that trench. And I was down in the hole, putting the pipes together, uh, as, as filling in the hole and, uh, so, Southern Louisiana in June and July, um, the heat down in a four foot hole with no, no air, is very, very, you learn very valuable lessons. So uh, um, I, I knew I didn't want to do that type of work for the rest of my life as, as well. So, but, you know, an, an, an interesting part to my story is uh, my first semester out of, out of, uh, in college, um, I went to college and enjoyed the, the freedom of college, or the freedom that college gave us and being out of my parents' home a, a little too much and didn't do so well. So uh, that next break, my dad put me back working on the farm and uh, in the in the sugar cane field during the harvest. And uh, he charged me rent to live at his house and he charged me uh, a note for the vehicle I drove and my insurance. And so we'd work 60, 70, 80 hours a week. And at the end of the week on payday, I didn't have any money left because I owed it all to him. So uh, when I went back to college, I I, I never uh, I never let up. I never made below a 3.0 after that.
0: You know what? I really like that story because, you know, you had skin in the game at that point. Isn't that
1: right? I, I had skin in the game. I, I didn't realize what, uh, you know, I was working my tail off 12 hours a day at least and had nothing to show for it other than a place to sleep, food to eat, and a, and a vehicle to drive. But uh, so – it was it was a very valuable lesson, and uh, it's it's also why I make my my kids have jobs through high school and college today. You know,
0: um, one one thing that I have seen in in my life is you're going to learn the lesson. It's a matter of whether you're going to learn it early or you're going to learn it late. And sometimes, you know, I think as parents we, we want to protect our kids, and and I think it's just sometimes it's the worst thing for them. Don't you think?
1: i do i do i do nothing wrong with with a little hard work you know
0: um i was looking you know and i was doing a little bit of research uh on your firm i went to um your website which is a great website it's called onmyside.com which tells a lot about uh, david and digger is is when you go to their website. You 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 automatically understand that it's about the client, not them. And I'm looking at these unbelievable verdicts that and uh, settlements you guys got, and I'm like, you know, these there's all these eight figure settlements, and I'm like, wow, these guys not only are good guys, they they do <laughs> they do some great work in the in the uh, in the courtroom too. But one of the things that you know uh, I, I've kind of learned is that those jobs that you had being in that trench and, and uh, being out there in the field, we happen to represent a lot of people that work with their hands and manual labor because they're dangerous, very dangerous jobs. And sometimes there's injuries as a result, to be able to understand exactly what that person has done for a living. has got to be a real, because you, you were there, has got to be some sort of advantage to you. Don't you think?
1: It, it is not only understanding what those people do for a living, but but understanding what it takes to do that job and uh, understanding that uh, injuries, how that would prevent them from returning to that that type of job or that type of work. Um, un- unfortunately, uh, you know, blue collar guys, the guys doing the jobs I did in, in uh, the summertime um, construction type work when you have a, a serious injury, it, it makes it nearly possible to return to that same type of work. So not only understanding what they go through, but, but, but understanding uh, how difficult that's going to be to return to uh, is, 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 is a huge plus for me to be able to, to understand what it takes to get those jobs done. So we're back with
0: uh, Digger Earls, and we're talking about some defining moments in uh, his personal life. He shared one about the time that uh, his father asked him kindly to come back home after that first kind of rough period of freedom. Do you have any (laughs) other ones you'd like to share, Digger?
1: You know, um, they probably so, Joe, but but that's the one that really sticks out in my mind. You know what? It was the roughest. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, uh, um,
0: I, you know, I've got six kids too. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's so, you know, th- this whole parenting thing, I'm, I'm one of 10 kids and I, I try to figure out myself how to, how my mom and dad did it. And, you know, one of the things that, that I remember is that when I was, you know, making these you know, huge decisions, about where to go to college and law school. And my parents were hands off. I mean, they were just like, uh, they let me grow up. They let me do that thing. And I, 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 agree with you. So let's move on to another thing that I want to talk to you about digger is, um, you know, I was going through your, your guys website and I just, uh, again, there's, there's so many great verdicts and and settlements that you guys have, have been a part of down there in Louisiana, but, are there any that that stand out for you in, in your professional life that were defining moments in your professional life as a lawyer?
1: Yeah, there 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 is. Uh, we're really proud of the of the work we've done, Joe. Um, especially our our trial work. You know, in in today's uh, day and age, there's lots of lawyers on TVs or on billboards jumping up and down saying, "Get a rec get a check," and. They're there for the, the quick payout and the easy money to, to make a profit and move on and, and, and be done with you. Uh, David and I took a different approach. You know, we, we, we truly take each case uh, individually and, and, and work the heck out of them and, and try to maximize what we can for that, that client to help them with whatever situation they, they find themselves in. Um, if I had to uh, pick one, I represented a, uh, an Ar- Iraqi uh, citizen who was living in Louisiana? Who was in a horrible accident? And the insurance company uh, took took a hard line and, and and really judged him because of his nationality, and refused to pay him a fair settlement. And I, I know it had a lot to do that they knew that a rural Louisiana jury was not going to respond well to a to an Iraqi national. And uh, so we we had no but the fantastic guy. Uh, his name was Jamal. Fantastic, hardworking man. So, what the what the insurance company didn't know was his story, and I knew his story. Uh, Jamal was a business owner in uh, Baghdad, and uh, became an interpreter and informant uh, for the Allied forces in Baghdad, and uh, ultimately became a, a hero for for us Americans because uh he turned on the Taliban and uh was informing the, the US forces uh about with intel that, that he had and also became an uh an interpreter during interrogations. Um they they the US forces nicknamed him the Godfather <clears throat> and uh there was a bounty placed on his head in Baghdad. Uh Jamal um literally grabbed his wife and his youngest kid and fled Baghdad um, with the assistance of the U S armed forces and relocated to America, uh, because there's a bounty placed on his head. And if he ever returns, he, he would, he would be killed. Um, Jamal left his, his businesses. He left his older kids and grandkids behind all in an effort to, to help the, uh, what he believed was right. And so I was very proud to stand by, by Jamal for what I thought was right. And, uh, there was some military personnel that ended up coming and testifying at his trial on his behalf. And I'm also very proud to say that uh, that jury saw right through the insurance company's uh, plan and and really took care of this guy, uh, even though that he was very different than anyone they had ever met before. Uh, what had happened to him was very real. And uh, that jury stepped up and we were able to to present him uh, for the true man he he was and the true hero that he was. And uh that jury stepped up and, and, and saw saw it the way we presented it and, and really took care of him. And that's one of I'd have to say I was a very young lawyer then and I was that was that's one of the the best the biggest verdicts I've had and, and one of the best cases I've had and I'm very proud of that.
0: And uh is is Jamal still in your community?
1: Jamal is still in my community and more importantly, Jamal is still a friend.
0: Yeah, no, that is that is great. You know, um I think one of the gifts as a trial lawyer is uh, to really to, to be able to, to number one, identify with your client. And uh, you know, it seems like a lot of lawyers, they look upon um, their clients as transactions and they see somebody walk in the door. The moment they leave, they try and get the case resolved and, and settled and, and, you know, for the shortest amount of time and, and, a fee that's you know basically going to be a, a a lot per hour for the for the lawyer but i tell you there's 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 a lot of lawyers that i've come to know and respect like you and david that that basically the the case starts when when um the client comes to your office and then you're able to to start the case there it isn't you know already in a can and done it you got to get all the trial. you got to get all the witnesses together you got to make sure everybody understands exactly what kind of uh,
1: damages there are right developing the story and that's that's what we do from the first time we meet the client uh, until we we close the file it, it's just it's just developing the story um, you know Joe you and I each have a story um, and every client has a story so it's our job as, as trial lawyers to, to to dig down deep and get that story out of them. And uh, because I the, the, and you, I do that by spending lots and lots of time with my clients uh, before I go to trial, I, I, I go spend the evening at their house and have dinner with them and their family to try to understand what they're going through and who they are. Because if I don't want truly understand their story, then there's no way possible I can I can accurate accurately uh, put their story out in front of the jury. You know, um,
0: sometimes I, I look at you know, all the, the, you know, I've been doing this for over 30 years. And, um, one of the things that, you know, I've seen, and when I I watched a lot of jury trials is that sometimes the lawyers think that they're, that they're going to somehow, um, you know, no case is perfect. There's, there's always a, uh, you know, something that's not the best or, you know, a thing about a client or, you know, best about the liability in the case. I found that, you know, it's important to level with the jury. And they're all people who understand that that we all have weaknesses and strengths. And they want to know the truth. And they want to know the good parts about the case and the bad parts about the case. And they want to know why they're there. And they want to know... how this specifically, this event, I mean, you know, for example, we, we do a lot of uh, trucking cases, which are absolutely awful to, to folks that get hit by a, you know, a, a huge truck like, like that. And, and, um, you know, my feeling is level with them, tell them exactly the good parts and the bad parts and, and, and give them the respect that they deserve t- to know the full truth and don't try to hide stuff from them.
1: Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so I call that fleas on a case, you know, and, and the truth is every case has fleas Um, and and that's because no one is perfect. You know, we all have something that we've been through in the past that, that either we aren't proud of, or maybe it's a a prior injury when we were younger and, and, you know, and uh, just every, there's no perfect case. Every case has issues that, that need to be worked, worked around. And uh, what we have found is, as just as your parents taught you, honesty is the best policy, and and developing trust with the jury. And the way you develop trust with the jury is is to tell the truth. And if there's a if there's an issue with your case or with your client, we have found that that very early on, through even voir dire, you expose that truth and you tell them, look, we're not we're not here trying to pull the wool over your eyes. This is this is what we have, and this is the issues that we we face and these are the issues that we have to overcome. Um and but I also tell that jury that I'm gonna prove, you know, A, B, and C to you and I'm gonna prove that the defendants did this, this, and this. And when I do, if I lie to you any time or mislead you at any time, I want you to be right out of the courtroom. But if I prove everything to you, I want you (laughs) to take
0: You know, that's a great, that's, that's a really great uh, way to handle things. Hey, this I want to switch gears because, you know, again, I'm, I'm looking at, uh, you know, on my side.com and I see all the great work you guys do in the community. Um,
1: yeah. I'm glad you, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because that's a uh, it's really a huge part of, of who we are and, and what we do. Uh, it's
0: Yeah. It's... So what, why do you do that stuff, Digger? I mean, I, I you know what, there's a lot of, you know, law firms or businesses out there, they're doing their job, et cetera. Why, why would you be interested in, in helping out, you know, your community?
1: You know, it's, it's kind of the, the pay it forward mentality. And, uh, the, these communities have been, been fantastic to us and we just want to do our part and, and give back. I and mean, we do lots and lots of community involvement, and you know, lawyers get a pretty bad rap. Um, people think of greedy lawyers, and lawyers just take, take, take. And we kind of wanted to flip the script. We wanted to just be the, the the true people that David and I really are, the country boys with the, the small town roots that we are. And we wanna we wanna give back to our communities in in any and every way possible, um, whether it's through charity work or or you know local festivals or events. I mean, we we participate in lots and lots of things and. Always looking for an opportunity to to be involved and give back in our communities.
0: You know, I, I saw one that I really liked. It was the one with the bicycles.
1: Yeah, yeah. Tell us about that. So we, we again, always looking for ways to to give back and be a part of our community. We created, uh, we call it our Bike It Forward program. Kind of kind of on the play of pay it forward, as I mentioned earlier, but it's called Bike It Forward. And uh, every year, uh, the last when schools let out, at each of our offices. We give away hundreds of bicycles to uh, to needy children. Uh, it's an application process that uh, a, a neighbor or a parent or a teacher or, or anybody can can go on our website and, and or one by, by one of our office and fill out an application and nominate kids that they uh, they think would would could use a bike. And uh, it's perfectly timed that school's letting out uh, on a normal year, a school's letting out towards the end of May, um, and so they can they can enjoy those bicycles all, all summer and some of these stories that that we see joe and of, of kids right here in in our towns are just heart-wrenching and uh we it's one of the most rewarding things we do to be able to 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 step in and and give these kids a little piece of happiness and a little piece of joy
0: well you know what it seems like to me you know just like that 9-year-old kid driving that truck to gives gives a kid some freedom to go you know a little bit, you know, outside his neighborhood to go see what the world's like on that
1: bicycle. Huh? That's that's right. That's right. It's, uh, I mean, every, every kid should have the opportunity to, to do that. And, uh, we're very happy to be able to, to make that happen for some kids. So, um, some of these kids are, are we've partnered with, with the local foster community and, um, you know, but for us, giving them, giving them a bicycle, they, they wouldn't have one. So, um, it's it's a very rewarding experience and I would encourage any of your listeners to uh to get involved in any way they can in their local communities, uh giving back in any way they can, because I think that what you what you give you 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 get out tenfold. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I, I see you guys do some work with the Boys and Girls Club as well. We do,
1: we do through our partnership with uh Alvin Camara. Alvin Camara is a, a an NFL player for the New Orleans Saints, our our favorite team down here in Louisiana. Um and we've partnered with Alvin to uh to give back to the Boys and Girls Club and the YWCA uh some programs that pro- that provide some some really good programs for, for young children, underprivileged children.
0: That is great. And then hey listen, I I I would be remiss if I I didn't ask how you got that nickname,
1: but <laughs> So that's a, that's a, a really funny story, and and this nickname has been both a blessing and a curse to me because when, <laughs> when there's when there's kid kid ten kids that that are being mischievous, and you know one's named Billy and one names Tommy, one names John, and so on, and one named one's named Digger. Well, guess the <laughs> only name that the people remember <laughs> is Digger. But uh, so when I was two years old, uh, my grandfather, who was a former and, and we lived right on side of my grandparents, my dad's parents growing up. And I was I was really close to my grandfather and uh, I was a very active young man. And I was I was two years old and I would dig through everything. And in these cabinets, I'd come in one side and come out the other, throwing everything out and very rambunctious. And uh, he just said, you're a digger. And he started calling me digger and it stuck. So my, my priest called me digger. My, my teachers called me digger. My professors called me digger. And so the moral of the story, be very careful what you call your kids because those names stick.
0: <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, listen, I, I gotta tell you, I, uh, I could just sit here and talk to you for hours. I think you're, you know, I I've got the highest respect for you and your law firm and all the great stuff you do for the folks in Louisiana. And, uh, you know, I um, for those listening, and and uh, you have uh, an issue down in Louisiana. Go see these guys. I, I'm assuming that when people call you um, and want to talk to you,
1: but initially um, they don't have to bring their checkbook, do they, Digger? No, no. No, it's 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 free to talk to us. We'll we'll talk to anybody, and we'll we'll actually I'll talk about anything. So <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's something I do or not. You you know adv- It doesn't cost anything to be kind, and and my advice, whatever advice, good or bad, I I'll, I'll, I'll lend it to you for free. I can hopefully help you or point you in the right direction if I can't help you. So, but Joe, I I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and and talk to your listeners. Uh, as you know, through our conversations, we think the world to you and the work that you do. And, um, yeah, if anyone ever needs anything down in Louisiana, give us a call or, or just stop by and have a cup of coffee with us. We'd love to meet you.
0: And then you you should also, uh, folks, let's, let, go to onmyside.com. That's onmyside.com. It's really interesting. These these fellas have a, a partnership with uh, uh, Alvin Kamara, uh, who is an outstanding NFL superstar. And they've built a spread joy and uh, a lot of charity to a lot of folks in the South. And, and, uh, but again, digger, thank you so much for taking the time to, to, to talk with us, and, and we'll be reaching out to you soon. Okay,
1: Joe, have a great day. Stay safe.:
0: Thank you for listening to the opening statement with Joe Shannon. You can find us on the Internet at Shannonlawgroup.com or telephone our office at 312-578-9501. Have a terrific day.